Blog Talk Radio. Did you have a song you wanted to play, Mark? Oh, I thought you were going to introduce the show, and then we were going to... No, I said right after the intro music, I would... Okay. I thought I I said after the intro music, I'll pause it and let you do that. I apologize if I did not not type that out. No, that was not made clear to me at all. It was... Okay, after the, I assumed that you said after the intro music, and, and you know, I'll let you play it. I mean, but that, but after the intro music would be any time during this podcast. It was not clear I was supposed to just break into music unexpectedly. Well, I mean, don't you normally? That's not, but that's not the stick here. I gotta, All right. say, I gotta say, start this whole podcast again. Hit the All music. Right. Okay, wait a minute. So we're clear. When I restart the music, I'm going to do the intro, and then you have that weird song, right? Look, stupid. Play the <laughs> fucking intro music, okay? <laughs> then you do your whole bit where you introduce yourself sounding half suicidal. Then you introduce me sounding half fantastic. And then I'm going to say some shit, and you're going to go, oh, no, and then I'm going to play the music. Holy fuck, dude. Okay. All right. I think I got this. Okay. I wish it could last.
All right. Hello, everyone, on take number three, because it's live and not actually edited. This is Damn You, Hollywood. I'm Robert Winfrey, and tonight Mark Radlich and I will be reviewing Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, because the world at large cannot quite get enough of the wizarding world of Harry Potter. And I, that, that's all the draw I've got for this movie. Uh, that, that, that's it. I mean, a few people know who Eddie Redmayne is, but he's not exactly a headliner in his own right. Nobody else in this movie carries a whole lot of value. I mean, Colin Farrell's pretty good, but Johnny Depp is unpromoted and shows up for like 20 seconds. Uh, so this is, hey, look, more wizarding stuff. That That's the draw here. Uh, and at least it delivers that. All right, now, hopefully to uh, get this thing kicked off right, he's currently the angriest man on this podcast. Mark Radlich, how you doing? I, I'm not the angriest man on, on this podcast, you see, because I'm actually very happy. This is my favorite time of year, Robert Winfrey. I know this, I know this week is Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is the doorway to the Christmas season. I know that if you go into like Walmart or something, the doorway to Christmas is Halloween for some odd reason. Um, and some places, start, in some places they'll start selling Christmas stuff in August. But I'm not one of these people who gets really excited about that sort of thing because I know in my heart two things. One, people got to pay bills and they got to sell stuff. Christmas stuff in August, whatever. It's not something to get all excited about. It's so actually the millennium's fault. Uh, indeed. No, th- um, this is not hyperbole. However, they actually did study data on this, and millennials actually want Christmas to start earlier because they like it so much. That's horrifying. Um, Tell me about it. But the, uh, the other uh, thing I was going to say, the other thing I know in my heart is that Christmas truly starts uh, – week, you know, on Thanksgiving, that's the doorway. And so uh, we got started a little early this week. Um, I went out and I bought a new car today. I got rid of my Prius. I picked up a, uh, a Corolla. I'm not going to get into that because no one gives a shit. Um, but afterwards, uh, because the kids had been trapped. Have you ever bought a car before? This is the longest thing in the world. Even if you know exactly what you're buying and you buy it almost immediately, there's still the whole DMV process you have to go through. And that took 12 years. Um, so my kids were, were hanging out waiting for me to get this car and they were cooped up at, in the Toyota, um, waiting room for a really long time. So to kind of reward them for not setting the place on fire, um, or not throwing <laughs> they should have. and behaving they, uh, we decided the to take a Bass Pro so Shop. Um, they, no, we will we'll still have Toyota, but, but you do everything over the internet now. Um, all the DMV stuff. I don't car. care where okay. it is. Uh, Anything that it touches, it's like a paralytic cancer. Did you ever hear the song DMB by uh, Primus? You should. That should be your like theme song if you feel that strongly about it. Um, we already we established them to Bass Pro Shop, where we, uh, where there's Christmas going on, there was all kinds of play areas, and there was Santa, and the best kind of Santa is Santa at Bass Pro Shop. It's the best. Um, so my kids really had a ball. They, you know, they met Santa at Bass Pro Shop and everything. But along the way, 
we were like, all right, since we're going to see Santa, we need to hear some Christmas music. I tried Thanksgiving music, tried to put this off just a little bit. You know, I figured let Thanksgiving have its day. But after you get past the two Charlie Brown Thanksgiving songs, there's nothing left. There's nothing. There are no good Thanksgiving carols that I could find. Um, at least That's in the true. five minutes I was looking for it on Spotify. No, it, it's like so the most underrepresented said, holiday in the United States. We should do what the Canadians do and just have it in October prior to Halloween. That's not a bad idea. So uh, just said, look, for God's sake, put on some Christmas music. It's time. Now, we always start the year with a little Lou Monty. Dominic, the Italian Christmas donkey, if you know what I'm talking about. Okay? It's the greatest Christmas song. I do not have song. a clue. <laughs> what are you doing to me, Mark? Never... Wait, that... Wait a minute now. Hang on. Because now i got to change everything. My whole life is just turned upside down topsy-turvy. You've never heard Dominic the Italian Christmas donkey? I have no frame of reference for this information. I know those are words that you put in a sentence together that make sense to you. Yes. Growing up in New York among the Italians. Yes. We heard a lot of Lumanti, a lot of Dominic the Italian Christmas donkey. The extent of my Christmas carol childhood, it begins and ends with the chipmunks. That's all I got as a kid. Oh, for fuck's sake, you are deprived. What, what, what are we reviewing next? We're reviewing Moana. I, I yeah. will fix this on the next review, I promise. Next week, before we, before we review Moana, you will know <laughs> that Dominic... I'd really bet that you didn't. It doesn't matter what you want. You're getting a lot of Dominic. Yeah, your, okay. your Dominic. insistence that I suddenly be exposed to Emmett Otter's country jug band jamboree more than made that apparent, as well as the bulk of our <laughs> the bulk of our schedule for next year. <sighs> Ain't no hole in the wash in the wash bowl. Washed up. Ain't no hole in the washed up. Anyway, um, look, look, we'll get into Emmett Otter around Rogue Rogue One, okay? But for right now, I, I, I gotta we gotta get this show on the road. And I came across in my uh, playing of Lou Monty earlier today for the children and for my wife, uh, which is a Radlich family tradition, us being Italians and all. I came across another Lou Monty song. And it's the greatest thing I've ever heard. It's even better than Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey. So here we go. This is Lou Monty singing Italian Jingle Bells. <laughs> Campanelle, 
Moga scopani, veniva Jim una passatella, quando sono le campanelle, ti votava la casa bella. Moga spuntalone, veniva Jim una palladella, campanella, campanella, sono bella, bella. Moga festa, nata vota, la cazzo, una festa bella, campanella, campanella, sono bella, bella. Mo moglie, ma tacchi giù, ci ne faceva una tarantella. A camano, gli paesani. Come on, I'll you paisan. Robert Winfrey, are you my paisan? I don't know. I'm I'm rethinking a lot of my life choices. <laughs> Wondering what brought me to this low and sorry state. <laughs> You're my paisan whether you whether you like it or not. Yeah, that that ought to be our tagline for Damn You Hollywood, whether Robert likes it or not. (laughs) All right, people turning into a movie review just got themselves a little dose of Lou Monty. Well, you're getting Lou Monty for the rest of the year, folks. Next week, Dominic, the Italian Christmas donkey. And after that, whatever other Lou Monty I can find. Lou Monty. Please, Internet. Internet, I need your help. I need you to find all sources of this individual. And, like, erase them from existence. No, you can't get rid of Lou Monty, first of all. He's an Italian I, I can't tell oh, exactly what you're saying about this gentleman's name. <laughs> I'd like to dedicate the last 15 minutes to my late Italian grandmother, Ida Radelin. She'd be so proud of me right now. All right, do you want to review this movie, or should I play more Lou Monty? Eh... Let's go with the movie. <laughs> I mean, personally, I could flip a coin, point. but we have a listenership, and I, I'm sure both of them are just really incensed that we've not begun to actually talk about the uh, the, the world's most famous walking armed robber, Eddie Redmayne. Okay, let's do this thing. All right. As I mentioned before, we are reviewing Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Um, this was always on our list because, look, the Harry Potter, Harry Potter is one of the most successful franchises ever. Uh, it's made over, like, it's made over seven and a half billion dollars. Just the movies, mind you, that's just the movies. Uh, J.K. Rowling is, I believe, the first billionaire to be an author, first author billionaire, which when you consider their the roster and the quality of writing from around the world over the years. It's, I mean, the fact that she's like the first is a little bit shocking. And, you know, I don't really have a whole lot to say here. Um, Before I do my plot synopsis, Mark, did you go into the, what did you go into this movie expecting? I mean, because I feel like expectation plays a big role in this type of movie, in any franchise film, what you expect going into it informs a great deal about your experience and what you feel about it afterwards. So what did you, what were your expectations for this movie? I expected there to be magic and wizards and witches. That's about it. Well, aren't you just easy? I I, I really have no, (laughs) well, I have no frame of preference. I mean, I, Barely, I'm not. I've, I've not read any of these books. As we know, my personal philosophy when it comes to this podcast is take the goddamn phone off, your hook. Um, 
what are you doing a telethon what's going on over there i can't control the phone <laughs> there you can believe um, me if i could no, I, it would I, be I out mean, the window I, I hate the phone i believe there's a special corner of hell for alexander graham bell <laughs> for inflicting upon humanity the ability to intrusively bother each other at the drop of a freaking hat more on that later um no, I mean, I mean, my personal philosophy when it comes to these review podcasts is books are for burning, unless you're talking about comic books. But even then, you know, I, I joke, I, I say that jokingly, um, but I, I've always said, you know, and this came up. You know, film burns better than this, paper, right? This came up with um, when we were talking about the Hunger Games, and one of my cousins got all bent out of shape because. Um, you know, because she felt that, oh God, what was her argument? Basically, uh, it was something having to like to be dependent on the books or whatever. And I'm like, no, film should stand on its own. You shouldn't need to read the book. Um, philosophy, and that's how I, I judge a lot of films. And I, I found this year, having done, having uh, reviewed a lot of film adaptations of books, one of the things I've noticed is. There's an assumption by, I think, the filmmakers and the adapters and the screenwriters that the audience will be able to plug the holes of the movie in with their knowledge of the books. I'm like, but what if you've never read the books, never read any of the Bourne series, uh, never read any of the Harry Potters? You don't even think I'm like an illiterate guy. I read nonfiction, people. I read a lot of nonfiction in comic books. Um, you know, I suggested to Gavin Napier earlier today, read Guns, Germs, and Steel. This is the level of book that I'll read, but I don't read a lot of fiction. I gave that up after 9-11. It was just one of those things. Um, so my point being that from Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter to Bourne to The Hunger Games to Twilight, you should craft a film that should stand on its own not without depending on ancillary material, including the book you've adapted it from. So going into Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, all I knew about this movie was that it, it takes place it takes place in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, in the that universe. And beyond that, I had no prior knowledge of anything this film was gonna be about. I literally went in almost tabula rosa. Um so Say right off the bat, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I actually I know, I'm movie, sure you I did. I know, I'm sure you did. Than any individual Harry Potter movie uh, to date. Now, I haven't gone back and rewatched The Deathly Hollows yet, but um, and maybe I'll change my mind once I sit through them again, but I've sat through the first uh, six Harry Potter movies now, in, you know, while we've been doing Long Road to Ruin, which we'll come back next week and we'll finish up with The Deathly Hollows. And like I said, you know, as I said on those shows, Prisoner of Azkaban was great. This was better, in my opinion. Um, many critics on Rotten Tomatoes disagree with me, and I guess we will talk about that later. Uh, so go ahead and do your plot synopsis, but that's my answer. I had low, I had no expectations, and they were exceeded. Yeah. Well, that happens when you have a low enough bar. <laughs> All right. That's, that's uh, me, low ball rattledge. As for the plot of this thing. There's not a whole lot of plot here. I mean, <laughs> uh, set against the backdrop of mid-1920s New York in the wake of World War One, which in the wizarding world uh, correlates with the rise in power of uh, Gillard Grindelwald, 
we get poor bumbling Eddie Redmayne, who brings a bunch of illegal magical beasts into New York, uh, gets his case confused with a poor, poor wannabe baker who just wants a loan from the bank and is just like God's perfect idiot for the purposes of this story. Like this is the guy who could step off a ledge and hit the plank that's moving to go to the next building. Right. And he, so several of his beasts wind up released. Uh, hilarity ensues. There's a somewhat deposed and disgraced former Auror who is following, who thinks that Eddie Redmayne's character of Newt, Scamander is her ticket back to the big kids table. She has summarily dismissed at every turn. Uh, amidst this, we are introduced to a group of humans, you know, non-wizarding folk who are convinced that there are witches. Come to find out through very poorly done flashbacks, that's because the female former Auror with Scamander actually like assaulted this <laughs> group of people, and don't get me wrong, they're stupid enough to deserve it, but last I checked, we don't go around assaulting people because of their stupidity, much as I wish. Uh, so while they're trying to... What? Anyway, while they're trying to reclaim these beasts, uh, again, usually in humorous ways, uh, character played by Colin Farrell, who is the head orer for the current administration. I'm not quite sure what his correlation would be in the American government because I'm not quite sure, but he is trying to locate a person of immense power who come to find out is a, is actually an obscurus, which is what happens when a magical child subdues and represses their magical ability. It's meant to be lived with harmoniously, not repressed. Not given aversion therapy. Sorry, I don't want to get political. And when they do, they develop these uncontrollable, violent uh, entities that suck the magic out of them and wreak havoc. They're Again, they're called Obscuras, and they are terrible, evil things. And... Colin Farrell is like coaxing this thing along, causing, getting it to cause more and more destruction. It is revealed that he's actually Gillard Grindelwald, who wants magic, magical superiority. He does not approve of wizards hiding from non-wizards. And after they destroy the Obscurus and the, you know, 15-year-old kid that it's inhabiting, uh, they arrest Grindelwald. That won't last because there's five movies and he's in all of them. So get ready for yeah. a lot more Johnny Depp. I want to I want to throw up when I say that. Scamander <laughs> uh, is able to reclaim all of his beasts. The woman goes back to being a full-fledged horror. The poor baker that they drug along with them gets obliviated and has to go back to being just a normal dude. Scamander goes back to England with the promise that he will come back to meet random female Auror, who, despite no visual evidence to this point, has developed some romantic attachment to him. I know I kind of skipped over the 
subplot between uh, this poor baker, Mr. Kowalski, and said Oru's sister who goes along with them because there's there's the actual romance in this story comes from those two but apparently at this point in time in the American wizarding community you are not allowed to either to marry a non-magical person much less befriend them are we done preaching yet about America's history on civil rights no I don't think so (laughs) and uh, again, I gave a little bit short shrift to the, they call themselves the Second Salem lot, this group of fanatics who witches are among us and we must reinstitute the witch trials. And boy, I really don't know history at all, but I'm a mentally damaged woman collecting orphans whose fate is far too kind for what I actually have done to people. But I'm a violent person like that. I don't know. All right, Mark. Uh, so apart from that, did I miss anything? Because really, there's not a whole lot of plot here. Uh, you missed the subplot of what brought Redmayne um, Scamander into... He's got a Thunderbird. He wants America to return it to Arizona. Place. Okay, but that was why he was there. I mean, Who the whole cares? thing is... He, so he comes to America... Okay, I'll, I'll take over from here. Tag out there, uh, Jim Neandle. There's no, uh, um, again, like there's no point for him, him being there is because plot says he must be there. Hot tag to me. It'll be fine. We'll, we'll, we'll win the crowd back over. <laughs> okay. Um, so Scamander comes to America with the intention of letting this, uh, what do you call it, a phoenix? What was it? What was the it's thing a called again? For the lo- it's a Thunderbird. His name is Frank, I think. Thunderbird. Okay, so he, giant bird. It's a thunderbird. Got it. He intends to let the thunderbird uh, out in Arizona, but um, where he's from normally, one of That's his other animals escapes, and because we have our villain who is who is currently uh, one of technically one of the good guys. Um, the uh, issues that are going on are summarily blamed on Scamander and these beasts that are running about New York. So a lot of the plot is him chasing animals throughout the city of New York and trying to put them back in his bag. And at first you have the the former Aura, the person who works for the Magical Police, uh, trying to take him in and sort of clean the shit off herself, as it were. Um, but along the way, they realize that his animals are not the problem. There's a whole other issue that is, that is trying to be buried by the powers that be. Um, and they sort of bond over nearly being killed together by our, uh, by our movie villain, who is Colin Farrell, who's been turned into Johnny Depp. Colin Farrell was, was better important. than Johnny Depp in this instance. Yes, Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell uh, was, was great. Somebody says something like, oh, you know, they, they can't see Colin Farrell outside of a certain role. I can't remember which one they said it was. I'm like, really? Because I have a hard time seeing Colin Farrell now after the second season of True Detective. Anywho. Well, the second season of True Detective just isn't very good. No, it's not. So here's the what first like season is movie. tremendous. It, it's pretty much like the best miniseries in television history. The first season? I've heard that. Yeah. I don't think uh, – yeah, okay. I thought you said third season. The first. I'm like, I don't think there no, is no, a third first, season. No, first season. First. All right. Here's what I liked about the movie. Um, there's one element 
that I do agree with you that wasn't great. And that as I do feel like it was a little forced between the main woman and uh, Eddie Redmayne, uh, their characters. Um, but I, but I, we even I fulfilled the studio it. note of there must be romance. Like, I'd almost understand the crappy studio note of we need a love interest if there wasn't already a romance story within the movie. It just made and no to sense to me at all. I, I'll, here's where I'll buy it. She is. There's a there's a lot going on in in the subtext of this. If you if you look closely, um, I'll come back to that. I, I will come back to why the romance is a, is at both. At the same time, forced, but still, I'll buy it, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I want to talk about what I really liked about this because, um, you know, I saw it with another couple and my wife, and we were discussing the movie after, and I felt like what I'm about to say is probably its most winningest quality, and that is, you know, after watching these Harry Potter movies where you know at least two of them spent forever just doing nothing almost but world building to the point where it drove me insane. It was nice to see a movie. Um, kind of reminded me of the second two Lord of the Rings movies in the fact that the world had already been established. Now we're living in that world. There's very little world building that has to happen. It's an in, you know, at, at best, we have an introduction of things that were not previously introduced. But for the most part, it's a lived-in, uh, physical, living world where people are existing and you can just tell a story. Now, the story doesn't work for you or you weren't interested in what was happening. That's fine for you, Robert Winfrey. But there was a very clear, concrete, well-told story from beginning to end in this world that has already been established. And all you needed was a little sprinkle of what makes America in the 1920s different from whatever the fuck time Harry Potter comes from in the future and London. That's it. And we got we get that right at the beginning, and then the and rest of it is just telling telling and a meandering plot. And oh look, this looks cute on paper. Let's have Eddie Redmayne wrestle with the CGI Nibfler again. See, I I, I, I have didn't to think it was the F tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Mister Negative. I didn't find it meandering. You want meandering? Oh God. Oh Try come on. Uh, How many times Try... do we need to see Colin Farrell talk with creepy kid in a dark alley? I mean, he does that on a regular Tuesday. I've seen it. I'm done. I'm over it. I don't need him to wrestle it with the Niffler 37 times. It built up over time, the bit with the kid, and it built up to the point where the big payoff was the kid going, you betrayed me and turning into the devil, number one. Number two, you know, he, he, he screws around with the Niffler maybe two or three times, and then we're into other things. There were other dangers. I think you're being a little unfair to the beaver there, uh, Ward. It's kind of so, it's not a beaver. It's kind of a mashup between a very small, like a bear and a platypus, on the platypus's that's great. size scale. I was small platypus too. I was doing. The, I, I was I was you're being a little too hard Sorry. on the beaver. Leave it. I don't him. know what that is. See, you've never watched Leave the Beaver. I don't understand the reference. I'm gonna need a co-host that was born on Earth. Anyway, um, I was born on Earth. It was just after 1950. Fair enough. So anyway, um, so getting back to my my point, uh, I actually, I, like I said, I thought the story flowed very nicely 
Um, I thought there was time taken to get to know the characters. Maybe that's what you're viewing as meandering, though. That's really unlike you. Um, no, I, I love I getting to know you... characters. I just, I don't, I don't know. I didn't feel like I knew the characters by the end of this. It's, I mean, I don't know. Look, from from the moment the movie starts, you have the attack of uh, of the, the the evil people. You have the you know the the newspaper sort of explaining what the major problem here is. And I'll give you this. About two-thirds of the way of the movie, I'm like, are they ever going to bring that guy back? <laughs> Is they ever going to deal with this? And then and they do. You just don't know it's him until the, the, the – spoilers – until the reveal at the end of the movie that Colin Farrell is actually Johnny Depp. Um, sorry, I'm using real actors' names because I don't remember characters' names anymore. But um, None of these characters are worth remembering in their own right. Don't worry about it. And I don't have the Wikipedia page up to sort of you know, jog my memory. In I can case, tell you, but I don't care uh, enough to do so. <laughs> It's not worth it. So, point being, you have this character, and after getting to know him a little bit, you're really right into the action, but then it slows down enough to, so that you get to know your four mains, which is the two women, uh, Eddie Redmayne, and the baker. And if, you, and if you get to know them, and you start to see this whole one side of Scamander, then they give you this other side of him where he's more comfortable, and he's, he's just an absolute whiz, no pun intended, sharp as a knife, with these animals and this whole of the world that opens up. But once that scene passes, we're back into the thick of things again. And it's one action set piece really after another that still slows down enough to tell you a story, let the actors act. So you have the, uh, the last gathering of the animal thing where they, where, you know, where they, where they get caught. Um, you have them confronting the, the American wizards in charge. You have them nearly killed then rescued, and we're into the third act after that. So like I said, I don't, I never got meandering out of any of it. And I was really, and I really enjoyed a lot of the performances. So that leads me to why the love interest issue, it seems kind of forced because you're right, there's no overt connection between our lead lady and uh, Eddie Redmayne. On the other hand, a lot of it was very understated. Um, I feel like it was the old, we're pushed together due to circumstances. And, you know, he, he really shows... Well, when you call that the old, hero. you're not lying. That, that's older than freaking dirt. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm just sick of that trope. Maybe. And that's what's that's coloring your, your uh, view of this thing. But, you know... It just wasn't look, necessary. You know, it's there. It didn't need to be there. She's suddenly crying and when he's leaving after no, trying to throw him in jail half the movie. It's, no. But you're ignoring, but you're ignoring the, the very facet of what, of, of what brought that on, which is she, over time, became attracted to him by virtue of the fact that he showed she himself to be a She stopped wanting to throw him. She, she didn't want him locked up. She didn't want his creatures taken away because, you know, all that's unfair, and that's fine and dandy. I have no problem with her perspective changing. I have a problem with suddenly at the end of the movie, boy, I'd really like you to come back down the ramp and kiss me. I don't have a problem with that. Especially I know, you don't have a problem with Mark Wahlberg's Texas accent either. No, but that's, okay, that's not a fair comparison. Okay, that, that, that's also a gut punch. Um, I know you're trying Sorry. to be funny, but I think you're ignoring something that was very real in that scene. And that was, look, clearly she's a, she's a repressed person. 
That was what that's that came through that character that she oh, was. Oh, she's a woman you know, in the twenties. It, it's it, it's just understood she's repressed. Well, that's my point, dude. You gotta take the setting into account here, okay? I understood she was repressed. In, I'm okay with that. And she's in. I mean, granted, this is the Wizarding World, but we're still talking about a woman in authority in a very male-dominated, uh, male-dominated profession. Oh, and by the way, she's already an outcast. She's already fallen from grace. There's a lot going on with this woman, and it kind of reminded me of like a, like a Family Guy bit. Where they talked about, I mean, it's not totally, but it's just sort of the same essence. Where it's just like, oh, you have this, uh, you know, a movie about a woman who's, who just doesn't have time for a man, and she's too busy doing business things, and so she just repeats that line incessantly. I'm a busy woman doing business things. And then a guy just sort of walks up to her, grabs her, and says, I'm going to show you over the next 90 minutes how all your problems can be solved by my penis. And that's like a lot of <laughs> romantic, romantic comedies in America. That's the plot. That's um, about it, kind yeah. Of, it, was kind of, it was kind of that sort of thing, where you have this woman who's like, I don't have time for this, that, and the other thing, and I'm trying to wipe the shit off me. And then here comes this guy who... At first, she has no obvious, you know, sexual romantic interest in. She's just trying to do her job. And then he rises to, you know, again, in the old trope, he rises to hero, to uh, heroism. And she's able to sort of step away, especially with the fact that, you know, she's the, the institution that she was dedicating herself to shown itself to be um, lacking in integrity at the very least. And so when she's not so solely focused on that aspect of her life, it opens her up to feel something else, which she does over the course of the film. And it culminates in that last scene. And before you interrupt me, let me say this. Had they actually kissed at the, at the, uh, the end of that gangplank, I'd have been pissed. But instead, she stayed true to her character, and she just sort of waited, and he stayed true to his character, and he was just like, feel the tension between them? But they didn't just, you know, Hollywood ending it. They, they were true to their characters, and he did just enough. Just enough in that instance to be romantic, but also true to his character, by coming back a second time and then immediately going back onto the boat to do his thing, which was go submit his book to the Ministry of Magic. And she goes back to her life. And so there's that sense of hope that's left lingering in the air for the audience. But at the same time, they stay true to their characters instead of doing a big Hollywood bullshit where they ignore that and have a big, you know, awful smooch. So that was my take on it. And I thought it was great. I also, you, I heard you say uh, the basic gets obliviated, which he does but you're leaving out the whole cinematic aspect of how he got obliviated. Well, sure. I'm not going to go into the minutiae of, of the plot of the plan. But the minutia was the best part. At least well, that's a plot Look, synopsis. They I'm not going whole... into detail when there's something – that's what we have this segment for, for the stuff that I'm not necessarily going to touch on when I give you the bare bones of what okay, occurred I'm in the not... movie. Okay, well, I'm not criticizing you necessarily, but if, but we need to talk about that because it was brilliant in my opinion. Again, film, film is a visual medium. 
actors should be acting in front of the camera and not just espousing dialogue. It's one of the criticisms of the Harry Potter movies that the actors, young as they are, good as they are, but still young, are shouting exposition at you in a lot of the early films. Whereas this one, they had a competent set of actors and a competent director who knew when to shut the fuck up when it came to dialogue and just let the actors act with their, with their facial features, with their bodies, and it was great. So, so let me set this up. You know, you have, uh, you have a problem, and the problem is half of New York just saw magic happen, and, you know, and the streets obliviated, obliterated, rather, sorry, um, and they have to sort of clean this up, and they don't know what to do about it exactly, and, and, and that's if when, they don't, uh, there's going to be war, and we must cl- – right. I mean, th- this is one of those things. Like, we have to you – know, we can't let people know there are wizards, and this has long been established. And B- Grindelwald's big thing is, yeah, no, nuts to that. We should rule. Which I like, we are, by the way. It's a, it's a, it's a classic villain characteristic, it and I loved it. And I so, really wish they had written his – and granted, it's Colin Farrell delivering it, not Johnny Depp. But I really wish they had written his speech prior to being, con- uh, you know, arrested better. Because there's at least two other things I really would have loved for him to point out. Okay, but, hang yeah, on. The, Thank the, you the, the uh, point uh, there being, yeah, the point there being, they really do need to get all of these people to forget that, huh, magic. Uh, so that's a thing. So Scamander comes up with this idea where he's basically going to make it rain, forgetful, you know, forgetful juice. And that'll, that'll make everybody forget what happened, and it'll be fine. They can clean this up and CIA everything away. Okay, great. That's the a, that's a plan. And what they show you in the movie is very, very, like, symbolic. You know, the rain washing away all this badness. Okay, the rain washing everything away. It looked Beautiful, dismal, gray, but beautiful. Um, you know, kind of like a sad clown, that kind of a thing. It's like, it's very kind of like of a sad clown. <laughs> um, so you have this very cinematic sort of panoramic view of the city on all this terribleness that's just gone on, being washed away by the forget by the forgetful rain, and. You have then you have the situation being uh, brought down to just the characters, and you know it's the ending of relationships, it's the ending of friendships. You have the you have the one sister who's sort of in love with the baker. You have the friendship between uh, Eddie Redmayne and the baker. You have the fact that this baker really was very accepting of all of this and wanted to be part of this world and has these awesome memories of a wonderfully jo- wonderful and joyous place and he's going to lose it all in a matter of minutes and that all comes out in just some looks and some framing of the camera and for all whatever knocks you might have on not you in particular but whatever knocks someone might have for the Baker character that actor portrayed all of that very well. And I remember being very emotional people around me. So it's not just, you know, ye old sissy rattledge here. But people around me were all very, like he was dying. It was, it was that intense. It was that emotional of a scene of him 
walking into the rain, sort of sacrificing himself for the greater good and having these wonderful memories and loving relationships all washed away into nothingness. And him coming up, where the hell am I? And it's all gone. And it made me cry. It, I mean, for the, the, the ending of the movie for me is that part right there. That to me was, you know, what was the final, uh, was, was the real conclusion of the movie for me. Not defeating the villain, not even the goodbye, although that was good too. It was that moment. And it does go on forever, by the way. It's a long scene for what it is. It's a dude walking out of a subway into the rain. But it, it was artfully done and respectably acted. And there was no dialogue to fuck it up. Okay, if this had been Michael Bay, first of all, it would have been raining men, hallelujah, or, you know, or women, I guess, naked women. It would be raining naked women, basically. And they would have been explaining everything, and then they'd have blown up the subway. This was the opposite of that. So that was brilliant. Um, and then you're right, and I'll let you kind of take over from here, because Colin Farrell's uh, last sort of uh, speech, his um, monologue that he gives about why are the most powerful people on this earth hiding from the weakest? Why are, you know, why are the gods hiding from the animals? And it's funny, because it's the same questions we have in the X-Men movies, <laughs> just asked differently, basically. Um, and it was great, you know. A lot of the criticisms of this movie came like, well, this is just sequel bait. But I actually thought this movie stood very well on its own. Um, I thought if they don't do any sequels to this as a, as, a, as a contained movie, I thought it was all wrapped up very nicely. Yes, there's a little bit of room for that clearly this villain will probably escape and cause lots of havoc and other stuff will happen. You know, but I kind of, I got a, a sense of this is the end of a new hope. You know, yeah, the empire wasn't completely destroyed, but the Death Star was. So there's room for to go somewhere else. But for right now, things are tied up nice enough that we can say this definitively, this story definitively ends, and it ended well. So I don't have a whole lot of bad to say about this. I think of all the Rowling movies, this is the best one by a large margin. Now, my biggest gripe with what he says in that final sequence, some of it's right. He's like, okay, who, who is this law, these laws, who are they actually protecting? Are they to protect ourselves or are they to protect the hum, you know, the, the normals? And I really wish he would have just pointed out, you know, by the way, all of you, you all just murdered a teenager. Because that's what you did. Every single one of you just killed this kid. Because you didn't know how to help him and didn't want to try. Actually, that's my biggest, that's my biggest problem in the movie. I, if anything, it felt like the sister underreacts, the entire cast overreacts. And then there's no, I felt like it was done. It was a horrifying thing. But he was treated more as like the villain in Ghostbusters. Well, we've defeated the bad guy and not you killed the kid which is really what happened. Yeah, that's, was, my big, know, they, that's my big gripe with that, is if your point is going to be, you know, the system by which we are governing ourselves, you know, this, the, you know, the laws of secrecy, 
if your point is going to be these are bad, you just got wonderful ammunition there. It's like, hey, you all killed a kid who turned into a monster or had this monster grow within him solely because he was in a position that forced him to hide his magical talent. You're going to tell me the system and you live in is good? And what of his sister? See, actually, this is the only part of the movie I didn't understand. When they established that the Ezra Miller oh, character was the sister of our lead. Most of that subplot is just handled poorly. Yeah, I mean, not enough that it ruined the movie for me. Um, but when I kind of sat back and looked at it, like, of what that part of the story was, I was like, well, that wasn't told very well at all. And they had, and you would not know that they were brother and sister. I felt like, I don't know why she left the brother in, in the hands of this woman who was abusing him. If she was a magic user, why didn't she rescue him and send him to school if she knew he, he knew magic? Like, none of that came across very well. And if one person says to me, but you had to read the book, I'm going to throw the bottle of water I'm drinking at them. I don't give it yet. It was not handled well in the movie at all. It was just such a small part of the movie, I think, and, and, you know, versus everything else that was happening that I didn't care as much. It was like, oh, I, I could kind of accept it. But if you're really breaking down the movie and looking for things that worked and did not work, what didn't work for me was that entire subplot in the sense that, I felt like, you know, the writers were telling you that there's a relationship here that was not evident on camera. And then when he dies, how did she not go after those wizards? You know, it was. It was oh wait, wait, I, wait, you know wait, wait. Me oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Do you think that? Do you think that? Was her? Was her? Was his sister? Was his sister? What? Who do you think is his sister in this scenario? The lead cop. No. No. I thought that was his sister. No. Oh, I got confused then. Explain, his sister is out. the blonde girl his that we're all. That is the, the big middle fact about who is actually the monster. And who is she? Then who is the lead cop to him? Because I thought they were related too. Found somebody random. They never explain it. She stumbled across him like being beaten and stood up for him. They they do a piss poor job with all of that. Oh God. Okay. Then yeah, I was completely confused by that. I was under the impression. I mean, I knew that that Ezra Miller and the blonde chick were 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 some sort of, had some sort of relationship, but I had I thought she also had some sort of relationship with him, and I thought they were brother and sister. So then when he dies, I'm like, why doesn't she react bigger? No, they're not well, gonna say related words. by blood at all. <laughs> blood at all. Okay. Her underreaction almost reminded me of Tony of Iron Man at the end of Civil War. We all know how I felt about that. But okay, I guess if it's just some kid who she Some kid she once, saw being abused and she got annoyed by it and like you do. And it's actually her reaction to that whole sequence that wound up getting her demoted to wand registry. So, so I'm confused now. So she stands up for him once and then still continues to leave him in the hands of this. Wait, how does she, it Harry as an or as basically an orphan gets to go to magic school, but this kid doesn't? I don't understand any of this. Uh, okay. A, 
first, okay, remember we are in America, first, not England. Remember we are in America, not England. Fair enough. B. Apparently, no one knew he had magic ability. Even you know, Colin Farrell says, "Nah, you're a squib." So nobody knew he had magical ability until he started going crazy because of it. Oh, so when even when she stuck up for him, she didn't realize he had magical powers. Yeah, she stuck up for a kid she saw being abused. None of that comes through in the movie. I'm aware. (laughs) Now you now maybe you begin to understand elements of my gripe. But look, I'm not going to fight you on that element of this movie was piss poorly done. I just don't think it wrecks the whole movie. Eh. I d- I'm, you're not wrong there necessarily. There's a fair amount of good in this to be had here. I mean, you know, just because one leg of a four-legged table is, you know, a, a, little, a little broken doesn't mean the whole table collapses. Um, it's still pretty sturdy. So... Uh, well, that was really my all those uh, ECW matches with botched table finishes suddenly don't make any sense <laughs> to me now because I, I have conflicting evidence from you. I think my metaphor works perfectly. I didn't say the whole leg was missing. I just said it was a little, bu- a little busted, a little damaged. I mean, the physics of that don't actually work out. A three-legged table is much – three points of contact is much more stable than four. I just said the leg, the leg was still there. It's just damaged. I just mean in the general. Like all there. four-legged tables are inherently inferior to three-legged. Four-legged tables are inferior to three-legged? How do you figure? Three points of contact is sturdier than four. This is oh. geometrically provable. Okay, but what about five? Points of contact. Five points of contact. Eh, three you and don't five. Need, if you're going for four, you don't need a fifth. It doesn't actually add a whole lot of stability to the relative to the cost of adding it in and the materials used. What if you put it like directly in the middle? So you have corners and then you have one leg in the middle. Why are we talking about tables? Um, so you tried to use metaphors with a relatively literal person. <laughs> Uh, we have about 34 minutes left because I decided to do a 20-minute bit on Christmas music. If we have anything left to say about this film uh, as it stands, I mean, I think I'd give it a pretty glowing. I gave it four stars on Rotten Tomatoes, um, which posted on Facebook. I didn't do like a written review or anything, but I did my star review. Um, I've, I've said now several times I think it's it's a great movie, very entertaining. Um, I really I enjoyed the performances. I think as the characters were written, the, the actors all stepped up and performed their roles very well. Um, I didn't find anyone to be particularly annoying. Um, I would have liked a little bit more of the, the Salem group because I felt like they were introduced as a, as a real heavy at the beginning, then summarily forgotten. And then their only purpose was to build on the Ezra Miller uh, storyline uh, and then the woman gets unceremoniously killed off, and then it's like, all right, well, uh, huh? I, so maybe there'll be more of that in the in the next couple of movies. But um, it was it was out there, and it was it was fine. Could have used more Salem. Uh, could have used more of. You get the sense from the wizards that they they reveal themselves at their own peril, but I don't. See a lot of evidence of that in the movie itself. 
Um, so I would have liked more of it. I think that's my only other com- wish, really, is I wish there had been a, sen- a real sense of dread and danger shown in the movie. Show me a wizard accident- <clears throat> accidentally revealing themselves and people freaking out about it, you know, and maybe, you know, hurt the wizard or kill him or whatever um, to really drive that point home. Uh, but other than that, somewhat and, silly you know, premise. I mean, they'd win. They have magic. I don't know. Um, no, like it, you know, it's firmly established across, all across this universe. Whatever version, whatever canon you accept, it is firmly established that, like, short of nuclear weaponry, we're pretty hosed. Well, um, yes, I think if you if you're coming straight at somebody. Um, as Colin Farrell showed, you know, if you're a superior warrior as a wizard, you're going to take out a lot of people. Of course, if someone throws a rock at your head from behind you, you know, or drops a piano on you and you don't see it, you're dead. And I think that's more of what I'm saying is if, if there was a situation where, where there was a wizard who accidentally exposes himself and just sort of freaks out, and can't get it together fast enough to defend himself from a mob dismantling them, dismembering them. You know, I don't need, I don't need the movie to be graphic or gross or anything. I'm just saying, I Could wish hurt. the peril. <laughs> I wish the peril was shown, not just said, because I because I almost didn't buy it. Um, I mean, it, it's delivered well enough by the actors involved that I was like, okay, I'll accept this. But again. Film, visual medium, show me, don't tell me. This isn't a Michael Bay movie. Except for Age of Extinction, which was amazing and showed you everything you needed to see. Yeah, and a lot of things you didn't. (laughs) But boy, howdy, Mark Wahlberg sure does need to uh, open up that Pepsi and take a big swig. Got to pay the bill somehow, baby. And a, you know, and a, uh, you know, a 30 to 40 second slow-mo on a Victoria's Secret ad. Go pay them bills, baby. Speaking of paying bills, are you ready to move on to the money? Eh, I, I don't, I don't care about this movie. I saw it. I have summarily dismissed the majority of it. I don't have all the, again, my, the gripes that I've had here are relatively minor, all things considered. I mean, Mark's confusion about various plot points that were poorly explained, which is understandable. I mean, I only noticed it primarily because I was paying attention so I could critique it. Uh, there's really, so again, a few minor, no, and the, there was two occasions when the music in this movie was, I mean, borderline plagiarized. <laughs> one of them was I can't remember the first one I think it was one of the scenes with the Thunderbird but don't quote me on that uh, the other is when said terrible mother dies they they just played Hello Zep from the Saw soundtrack and I hope they have the decency <laughs> to pay for the royalties that's all I'm saying do you do you get the points that I'm trying to make I mean you have a major problem with the stuff that I was that I was laughing no, not really. Uh, again, the acting is all fine. Uh, nothing especially memorable. Probably outside of that subway scene, like you said, when uh, the poor baker. Uh, that was that was really well done. That was easily the highlight of the movie. 
uh, the rest of it just kind of exists. Uh, there, again, there's no major errors. I just don't have anything effusive to say about it one way or the other. Um, again, I think if you're into this universe, uh, if you're into fantasy, and if you're into wizards um, and animals, I absolutely would take, you know, go see it. If you've got kids, I think, I don't think there's anything in this movie that they can't see. Um, I don't think I would take anybody who doesn't have an attention span because it's a long movie. I think um, north of seven years old, um, depending, and, and your mileage may vary when it comes to children with attention spans <clears> through <throat> a long movie. But I would just, based on my own experience, I think at about seven, they, could, they can sit through a two-plus-hour movie without you wanting to elbow them, elbow them in the nose. Uh, but you know your kids better than I do. Um, and I would I just think, rather you didn't take them to the theater. <laughs> but I of course, think, I also you know, wanted to throw absolutely. something at the group sitting immediately behind me because they wouldn't shut up. I think nine or ten years old, though, um, is, is about the right age to, to bring them to this. So if you've got little tweens, little uh, you know, nine, ten, eleven-year-olds or, or older, um, absolutely take them to go see this movie. I think they'll love it. If, you know, fans of the Harry Potter movies, I don't see why you wouldn't go see this. Uh, I thought it was great. So with that said... Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. God damn it, Blog Talk Radio. All right. Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them uh, had a $180 million budget. As of November 21st, it has made worldwide $226 million. I believe uh, it was no, well, it was absolutely number one this weekend. Uh, I believe it pulled in. Um, let's see here. I got to go back. Um, it did well, <laughs> it won its weekend. Uh, let's see what the totals were. Um, it handily won its weekend, too. It wasn't terribly close. No. Um, all right. So it, it pulled in about $74 million uh, domestic. It was it de- debuted at number one, knocked Doctor Strange off its perch, uh, knocked it down to number two, trolls from two to three, arrival from three to four, almost Christmas, four to five, and hacks are raised five to six. Its competition, it wasn't even fucking close. The Edge of Seventeen debuted at number seven with almost five million dollars, and they in bleed for this uh, debuted at number eight <clears throat> with two million three hundred and sixty six uh, three hundred sixty six thousand uh, dollars. So can Miles um, yeah, Teller go away? <laughs> it easily won the weekend. Um, very competitive with Doctor Strange. Uh, Doctor Strange brought in about $17 million for its, uh, for its what, third weekend. Yeah, Second? Third weekend. Uh, troll, trolls um, no $17 million rough for its uh, third weekend. Arrival in its second weekend made about $12 million, and then nothing else matters after that. I've been so, meaning to yeah, ask very you, how married are we to doing the Transformers movie next year? Because... The King Arthur movie comes out the same weekend, and I can tell you exactly which one I would prefer to watch. 
first of all, do you really have to ask? Come on. I'm just saying I saw a trailer. I finally saw a better trailer for the King Arthur movie. And it's directed by Guy Ritchie. It stars Charlie Hunnam. I'm a kind of a sucker for Arthurian lore. Uh, th- that's not an exaggeration. I actually read the Once and Future King when I was entirely too young. All right, here's the problem. Here, here's the problem, sir. So let's look at June for a moment. All right. June 2nd, we have Wonder Woman. Yep. The Mummy. June 16th, we have Cars 3, which actually looks really good. With yeah. With a little bit of footage. Thankfully. Because one and two aren't. Transformers. The Transformers, the last night, June 23rd. And here's the problem. We, there's no open, unless we double up movies, there's no, and we can't do a split feature with this. This isn't Gem and fucking, you know, uh, the, the, the horror movie. I don't remember the name of it. Don't um, worry about it. You know what I'm talking about. I do. I'm the not going to save you, but I know. Okay. Um, this isn't one of those situations. We can't, you know, all time to do Transformers the last night. Um, the problem is the following week is Despicable Me 3. And the following week after that is Spider-Man. And the following week after that is War for the Planet of the Apes. And then I'm going on a cruise and you're reviewing Dunkirk. I'm just trying to get out of the Power Rangers movie. That's all. That's not – that's happening in March. Yeah, that's what I said. That was – I did not say Transformers. I you, oh, I heard Transformers – you wanted to get out of Transformers. I'm like, you're well, lunatic. I, do, it's not I, I know that's not – look, short of violent illness, I know that's not happening. <laughs> um, let's see here. Well, here's the problem. March, we've got Logan. Just assume these were a week later, so I don't have to keep reading the dates. We've right. got Logan, Kong, Island, Beauty and the Beast, which looks amazeballs. Then Power Please Rangers and Ghost again. Amazeballs? Yeah, that. Don't say that. Don't say amazeballs. It's, it's not a word. Don't say it. All right. It looks phenomenal. Yeah, I'm just trying to substitute King Arthur for Power Rangers. That's all I want. I'll tell you what. Nope. It's not going to happen. But I will concede that since we don't, we don't have a movie... Well, relax. I'm willing to concede something here. I'm willing to add the King Arthur movie in between Ghost in the Shell and Fast 8 because we, have, we do have a week off. So if you would like to fill in the gap with your King Arthur movie, I am willing to... Yeah, no, sure. you're not getting out. I'll take I'll take what I can get in this instance. It's a rough year. 2017 the... is a rough year. <laughs> what is the name of this cockamamie movie you're talking about? Uh, King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, I believe is the subtitle. King Arthur. Look, find a preview. It actually seems, generally speaking, more up your alley than mine. Okay, no, I'm, look, I'm not doubting that it's going to be a fun movie to review. I was just, I'm all about the scheduling here. Which, by the way, we are now adding the Inhumans uh, IMAX movie, which should be coming out September 1st. Yay. Which is basically the first two episodes of, of this television show that are just going to debut in the movies and then be on TV. So then what's the point? that's now on the list. Then just, uh, that is the dumbest. 
a marketing thing. Yeah, it's stupid. So, um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is off to a good start here. Uh, it's currently, like I said, $226 million in, in its uh, first couple of days um, on a $180 million budget. And it needs, about, needs to make more than $400 million at this point to, uh, to really be profitable uh, and to you know, they're, they're talking about this jet being the first part of a trilogy. And no, really, no, 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 um, no, 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 not trilogy. Not trilogy. Quintilogy. Okay. I, I yeah, know. Five. See, I was there's, under the there's four more of these I things. I see. I was under the impression that this was a trilogy, but they were still going to be like two other rowling movies associated with it, but not directly tied to the story. Mm. Nope. Um, a lot more Eddie Redmayne, freaking thief. It doesn't matter. Um, because I'll tell you what, as long as, look, Warner Brothers winning, uh, has a winning uh, brand with these Potter movies, these Wizarding World movies. And they need they it. Like the Harry Potter. Movies. And they need it. And because it's fucked up DC to a fare they will, and they are still in the midst of trying to turn this tanker around before it hits the iceberg, um, no, it already hit. I'm not sure what they're trying. Yeah. They're trying to like keep it afloat for a, so they can save the women and children. But that thing has already impacted at least one major item. Yeah. Um, you know, look, if they score big next year with Wonder Woman and Justice League and don't completely piss people off, things are going to be okay. Though Flash apparently is in trouble. Um, you know, they're going to, well, sure, they're like, trying the movie, to run the it counter the television series, which apparently people like. Yes, it's very well done. Um, anyway, the whole point I'm of glad this is Warner like Brothers has some major flashy things. Warner Brothers is, uh, having a lot of trouble with their DC franchise. So they need, you know, and they're out of Lord of the Rings movies at this point because Tolkien only wrote so many books. And, and it's only something that, you know, you can really make into movies. Um, there's no other, there's no other, you know, children's book they can stretch into three movies. So, you know, they're sort of done with Tolkien. Um, they don't have a whole lot left They're paying in the someone to and try to adapt to Cimmerillion. You know they are. I think they're allowed to. Uh, um, <clears throat> just looking at uh, this year, in terms of studios, I'm gonna pull that up really quick. Um, you know, you look at what else they've had. I mean, you know, Dawn of Justice. This is all domestic. But you know, you know, yes, Dawn of Justice made 330 million domestic, and Suicide Squad, just under that, with 325. And Central Intelligence was profitable, but it only made really you know, Warner Brothers needs to just like pay the rock more money and get him to do more stuff with them because he's the only thing keeping them afloat. But I mean, after, after central intelligence, you know, Tarzan bombed. Um, and Sully too. was well, a franchise movie. It's not supposed to make gobs of money. No, but we're talking about with the whole point of me going into this line of, uh, of reasoning is, Warner Brothers needs franchises, and Ugh, they, they I hate franchises up so much. So they're going to make Potter movies until people get sick of them, because it's the only one that's working right now. Else out there, um, you know, they don't have a whole lot else out there 
to really, uh, you know, to, to, to hang their hat on and say, okay, well, this will make us some money too. You know, when we're not making this, we'll do this. Like, you know, DC movies may make money, but, you know, but they, they, there's a series of diminishing returns here. Um, they were supposed to start doing something with Tarzan, Tarzan bomb. That's now, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, their animated stuff does well, but again, we have a franchise issue here. Um, so really one of the only, one of the only things they've got is Fantastic Beasts, uh, is, you know, the Potter stuff. The, you know, maybe, the, you know, the, the, we got another Creed, I think, coming. That'll probably do okay, but you know, is Creed going to sell billions of dollars to little kids? No, come on. Let's be serious here. So... Get ready for a lot more Potter, a lot more of the Wizarding World. Uh, that's that's that was my only point. All right, anything else about the money here you want to talk about? Nah, I again I have very little to say about this movie one way or the other. Can you play some Blue Monkey for you to make you happy? Because you're you're just so help I get me a very if you do, I will just end this. <laughs> now, I, now I know how to get the show to end. <laughs> well, well, thank you for giving me that. Ready oh, to move on to the next thing. Week. Next week, I'll probably, I don't know. You'll, you'll need something else for next week. That's, I don't think that'll hold up for a full seven days. <laughs> I don't mention this week. Next, next week is Dominic the Italian Christmas Donkey. I still am not sure that's a thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm about. Thirty percent no, convinced you're well, just you lying to... to me and are going with the gimmick. Nope. You need to go to New York and listen to some cousin Bruce on WCS. Why, why would I do that? Go. Is that even still a thing at this point in time? It was WCSFM. Are you sure this isn't one of those things that just died with you know it used to be all fields around here? Oh God. Uh, I have a lot of good memories of living of growing up in new york all right i'm sure you by the way um for anyone that watched a guy this past sunday they did a hilarious bit with um where where uh they would you know this occasionally they'll adapt a story and make it family guy-ish and in this case they did uh the great gatsby and so they're doing a a pan uh across a series of mansions and it says you know long island the 1930s or whatever and uh, and then and then as they're panning, another series of words comes up, and it says Long Island. Long Island used to be fancy. <laughs> I was laughing so hard, and you have to be from Long Island to really get that joke, uh, especially if you've been to the ship parts I've been to. Oh lordy! So you ready? Regional humor is always appreciated. <laughs> I'm waiting on you, sir. How are you? All right, hang on. No, God! Can I do the show? No, God, please, no! 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 All right, uh, a couple of things. A couple of things before we get into this, I just want to share with people. Uh, this is yet another one where not as bad as like Suicide Squad and Dawn of Justice, but well, I don't justice, but um. Uh, in large portions, but Suicide Squad, there was this huge disconnect between the audience score and the and the critic score on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, among other places. And not that this is as dramatic or as drastic 
a difference, but it's still a notable, noticeable difference. Um, certified press. I imagine there's a barely, strong correlation between people who liked Suicide Squad and people who voted for Donald Trump. Shut up. Don't be political. Um, All right, fine, fine. Allow me to rephrase. Uh, Strong correlation between people who liked Suicide Squad and those who have suffered at least one major head injury. Fair enough. Um, Again, the meter certified between major head injuries and Trump support. I'm not sure. I don't have the data. Really, you needed to interrupt me to say that. Sorry. Like, like you, you set up a joke. You, you set up a joke. I was like, gave you a little smirk, a little pinch, a little pinch and squeal, and then you have to like over-explain it. What are you, my daughter? Relax. Jokes are um, only funny when they're explained. <laughs> yeah, that's how humor works. It's, it's only funny when you over-explain things. Yeah, um, the more you can right. explain it, the funnier it gets. I, I don't understand three, the problem. The tomato meter, certified fresh, 77%. And the audience score, eighty-five uh, percent liked it. So again, we have a bit of a disconnect there. All right, here we go. I'm only reading the rotten reviews, and l- let me preface this by saying some of these pissed me off so badly I had to start texting them to Robert before the show uh, on on um, this weekend while I was at work. I was so irritated. But anyway, this isn't about my irritation. <laughs> this is about causing Winfrey to have an embolism. Ferguson at Willamette Week. Nothing in Fantastic Beasts rivals Harry's journey from the cupboard under the stairs to the towers of Hogwarts. That brand of wizardry, the truest magic in Rowling's world, has vanished. Yeah, there are degrees to which I agree with that. Uh, Unfortunately, the actual criticism gets lost amongst pseudo-preachiness. Yeah, there's nothing epic in this story. There's not enough of a this story kind of reminded me of a Rube Goldberg machine in that it just kind of goes from one point to the next with a point that immediately precedes it setting up what immediately follows it which is not the worst thing in the world because there's enough of an overarching story to kind of go with that so in that sense I agree but the notion that you know Harry's again epic journey is the truest form of wizardry on screen. It, I mean, you don't have enough, there's not enough data points to make that kind of comparative statement. Yeah. I got the sense from a lot of review. They just wish they hadn't made this movie and just made a 10th Harry Potter movie or ninth rather Harry Harry Potter movie. Like a lot of the criticisms I got from Rotten Tomatoes when the Rotten reviews were basically, wow, it's not a Harry Potter movie. And it's like, uh, this is why I hate professional reviewers. They they don't do their jobs well. Uh, Elena Lazich, uh, Little White Lies, a disappointment how great the original Harry Potter films were. Oh, go fuck yourself, first of all. Eight movies and maybe five of them, you know, well done. Or well, three of them suck dick. It just calm the fuck down. No, I got nothing. Go for it. <laughs> All right. You handled um, that one adequately. Matthew Lacona of the need to extend it. Um, not a lot. Of, not a lot really can be said unless you disagree with Ghostbuck Dick. Uh, Matthew Lacona of San Diego Reader, top critic. 
Set against all the thunderous themes are the antics of a bunch of uninspired imaginary animals, sorry, fantastic beasts, and an astonishingly winning cast that very nearly atones for everything else. And this person gave it one out of five stars. Okay, one out of five is is unnecessarily harsh. I will give you that, okay, these aren't the most visually stunning of creatures. The selection they went with for this, uh, they all pretty clearly have real-life analogs. And if you want to just be completely transported from your reality, you shouldn't look at something and go, oh, that's basically a rhino. Yeah, but I didn't think they had to be. I didn't, I don't need, this didn't need to be a completely alien world. I thought that, that having analogs to real life animals was, was you know, I got, I, I got a very Madagascar sense from this and I don't mean the fucking cartoons. I mean the actual Madagascar, uh, where they say that a lot of animals, um, that lo- there are a lot of bizarre looking animals because, uh, because of that particular island off the coast of Africa um, was like untouched by man for the longest time. So a lot of weird stuff is there that, you know, that, that has long since died anywhere else or didn't exist anywhere else. So I, I got, I got that sense from it that, that they are, you know, that a lot of the animals in this have real analogs. I bought the concept that they would have real analogs to animals that we commonly know. These are sort of that or extensions of that in some way. I, I thought it made it more believable. All right. If it works for you, it worked for you. Dan Dan Schnindel of the film stage. This is Marvel imitation at its most tedious. Get Get them free. No. (laughs) How did you arrive at this conclusion? Like, wait a minute here. Whoa. I spent the last review yelling about the Marvel formula and it's pros and cons and how it's time to, you know, maybe adapt it and you know, explore it, improve upon it a little bit. And then yelling at people for thinking that Dr. Strange was Iron Man because no, but at least, at least I understood how they could go so wrong. I can pretty clearly see the left turn at Albuquerque that these bunch of morons didn't make. <laughs> but the, this is like two plus two equals banana. Like, oh, this this is Marvel imitation. Explain yourself. <laughs> Can you possibly justify uh, that sentence being typed out and thought through? I mean, no, nothing here imitates anything Marvel does cinematically. Including having shitty villains. Yeah, the villain here is better than anything Marvel's done. Except for casting Johnny Depp. <laughs> All right, Al Alexander of the Patriot Ledger. Rowling has no grasp of screenwriting. Her characters are flat and underdeveloped. Her plot, her plotting scatter shot, her plotting scatter shot, and her action seems tired and derivative. It's boring and, except for Fogler and Sudol, utterly lacking in fun. Ah, that old card. Here we oh, go. wow, like fun. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, okay, hold on. I've complained about this movie and. If you did not have fun watching Eddie Redmayne try to snare that Niffler out of the bank, I'm not quite sure what I can do. You, you are just beyond help. <laughs> because 
A, the Niffler is adorable. And, I mean, they used it too much, and it got tired very quickly. Fair play. The first time he actually tries to track that poor thing down as it's running through a bank stuffing itself with all the shiny things <laughs> it can find. How do you not have fun with that? I mean, come on. I have no soul and I, I have fun with that. Uh, I will agree about the plot um, being a little bit scattershot. And there are varying degrees to which the whole characters are flat thing is true. If you're used to everything being explained to you in very small words, okay, I understand why you might be a little bit lost. To those of us able to watch how an actor performs and therefore intuit things about the character, not so much. Not for nothing, but if I think if they re-released The Lord of the Rings to this group of reviewers today, I don't think it would get good reviews. I mean, you know, there's they a lot spend of fun on the Come on, too, Bilbo's birthday scene takes forever. And the ring rates don't have enough dialogue. And I, the whole Council of Elrond thing, it really left too many unanswered questions. Yes. Why, why, only one, why was there only one dwarf, dwarf standing up? I don't understand. What were the rest of the elves doing in that? Oh, God. William Lights, The New Republic, top critic. The film strains considerably under the weight of all its plot lines. It's never fun to be the movie with the origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, a, I'll give you that origin stories can kind of suck. Here's the weird thing about this, I think and I really do need you all to pay attention. This is not an origin story. Origin to I mean, what? I, I, I understand your confusion because you're all brainwashed into thinking that first entries into a franchise or first spinoffs of a franchise must be origin stories. But they're not. They don't have to be. There is no canonical law. This is not written in stone. The 11th commandment is not, thou shalt write origin stories. All right? This isn't one of them. Now, again, I understand your confusion because this requires you to actually pay attention. This is, I mean, really, whose origin do you believe this to be? Mr. Uh, Scamander, you mean the fully formed adult with a set of values and principles and belief systems and has a great deal of his life's work already accomplished? This is his origin? Uh, but Grindelwald has <laughs> already started a world war? No, you're, no, this is not an origin story. It's the first entry into a spinoff, and I'll grant you that, you know, it suffers on occasion because of that, but this is not an origin story as you have come to know them under the terms of Marvel and Warner Brothers and their take on DC. You have failed pretty profoundly. Smash your fingers in the desk drawer and try again. You get the sense that that a lot of these reviewers are just fucking lazy at this point. Lazy thoughts, lazy writing. It's like, you know, it's like they, they just don't want to be for it. Like this podcast revels, at least I do. <laughs> I, I revel in torturing you. And I also revel in big budget blockbuster movies. So I, I look at these as enjoyable experiences. 
but I get the feeling from a lot of these reviewers that they're being forced at gunpoint by the periodicals that they write for uh, or websites they write for. They have to go out and see these things where they'd rather just watch gay cowboys eat pudding. Nonstop. Well, that's a sentiment I can sympathize with. I wonder why. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, I do my level best not to take that particular viewpoint out on movies if they don't deserve it. I'm, I laid my complaints about this movie. I said my good things about this movie, and I'm happy to let it stand at that. Now, next year, when you bombard me with 50... Look, Biff Tannen is going to eat less shit than I will. Right? It's going to be fantastic. Because you... I can't wait the to month of yet. January alone, like, I would rather... <laughs> I, I, can't expl- I can't express to you listeners, how much I would rather inflict varying degrees of physical harm upon myself. Oh, please. You're getting a monster's call in the middle of all that, and you're making me watch The Great Fucking Wall for no good reason in February. Relax. Oh, so wait. Smoke some bleed Wait, wait. You compromise on two movies, and suddenly this makes up for Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, Underworld number five. Who cares... Number number whatever for Paul W S Anderson's god awful Resident Evil movies, and what's the other one? There's one other one from January. I swear that I'm just forgetting. Oh, that's all of them. Okay, but seriously, those three. This is what my life has become. <laughs> a, a series of dread. I, I dread 2017, and it has nothing to do with our next president. <laughs> I like pushing people out of their comfort zone. I think this is I think this is therapeutic for you. Well, then you should consider the occasional intelligent movie that I request to see to be the same for you. I think I have. I've given you opportunities to fill in where there isn't a major blockbuster, a major franchise movie, so whatever. I know. But my, one is, my big right there power. is all these stupid smaller studio, studios with smaller releases that I actually like, <laughs> that I might want to see. They're like, oh, this, you know, this is an interesting director and this acting combination, and oh, I've actually heard good things about this. You know, from other people in the film world, you may have seen it beforehand, or you know, there's some critical buzz around this movie. Uh, when does it come out? I would, I would be interested in seeing it and reviewing it with Mark because I like to expand maybe our audience base a little bit from just people who want to hear me yell about stupid movies to, you know, have us talk in, you know, glowing terms about a movie or, you know, just something different. So when's that come out? Oh, the middle of, J- the middle of September. When we're booked for the you know, three weeks prior and the three weeks after, and I can't reasonably, I mean, there's just no reasonable <laughs> expectation of being able to see it and review it within a timely manner, all things considered. And I, I, it just makes me want to throw something. All right. Can we get through the rest of these and, and finish this, please? Yeah, sure. All right. Ign- uh, Ignati Vizhnevsky. Top critic from the AV Club. 
is there an irony to the fact that Yates, who has become the de facto film interpreter of Rowling stories, has shown the most gusto in the movie where he was given the least material to work with? I'm not sure that's irony. Uh, I understand that, you know, the contemporary culture has now turned irony into the rough equivalent of literally, which has been (laughs) overused and misused so much that now it means the opposite of what it actually means. No, there is no irony there. Moron. Tim Martin, The Mercury. I couldn't help but feel there was something a bit cynical in the production of a New York-based Harry Potter spinoff. What's cynical about it? I mean, do you understand what cynicism means? There's nothing cynical here. If you want to say it's pandering, fine. I might agree. We need to set one in America for the American audience. Well, New York. All right. Uh, I mean, okay, fine. If that's your point, or, you know, wow, I really wish these international filmmakers would set a movie in America in a city other than New York. That sure would be nice. Fair play. Nothing cynical here. What's there to be cynical about? You do, I, I feel like you meant to use a different word, but you were both too stupid to realize it and too lazy to actually look it up. Eric Henderson of Slant Magazine. The film exists resolutely outside of salience and doggedly within the comfort of escapism. No. I mean, <laughs> No. Is this this is fundamentally an escapist movie? Sure, they are, all the Harry Potter movies are. You wish to be transported to a different world and to spend time there. All right. Calling this pure escapism is just wrong. There's there's substance. There is actual substance here. Some of it's preachy. Some of it's handed. Oh, no. Some of it's ignored. But there is. Look, if you want pure escapism that does nothing but try to at least make you wish for more head trauma or to be anywhere else but where you actually are, see any of the Transformers movies or any of the movies coming out in January of 2017. Well, Philip Concanon disagrees with you, and he's from The Skinny. There are no emotional stakes. (sighs) The efficient director have fit and required groundwork to make these relationships mean something. I don't know what movie he watched. Again, if your main gripe there is the two leads, I can sort of understand. Sort of. When you say there are no emotional stakes, maybe there's no emotional stakes to the action. Again, they killed. Again, they murder this kid. Here's a thought. Here's a shocker. You know, they had the American police gun down a kid because. Hey, you're a bunch of. Uh, I, there are elements of the screen right of the writing here. I just really can't stand. And the action may not have a whole lot of emotional weight to it, but that's really not the extent of it. If you napped between explosions, I understand your confusion. If you actually managed to stay <laughs> conscious, and we're not in the midst of suffering some kind of delusional hemorrhagic fever that inspired a degree of delirium, you're just bad at your job. All right, this is the last one here. Uh, Top critic, Joe Morgenstern. I frequently like to read his stuff on this show. 
from the Wall Street Journal, uh, which I also frequently read, um, extravagant creatures of digital descent can't sustain a story that does little more than set the scene for a long string of sequels. Once again, I don't know what movie he watched. Uh, I understand the discussions of sequel bait in this movie. That being said, this is not the uh, most baitiest of sequel baits I've seen this year. Nope, that would that award goes straight to Independence Day. Ah, uh, I hate that movie <laughs> so much. No, look, there's. I think we. I think we can agree though that was the. This isn't it. There's room for. I mean, this is clearly planned as part of a series. But if for some reason they never make another one. I'm only going to go I'm only going to bring up well they sure wasted a lot of the budget putting Johnny Depp in albino makeup. <laughs> I mean and nothing of value was lost, all right? <laughs> Whereas if they don't make another Independence Day movie and I hope they don't, that then this whole that whole sequel was just an exercise in such futility. Or, you know, the Peter, the Peter Pan movie from last year. Mark, we yelled about this forever. Oh, my God, that was awful. But the point there is, hey, we'll fix it in the sequel. You can just tell every one of the writers either said that more than once or had it said to them. This is not, again, sequel bait as such is relatively thin. This is not good bait, I suppose is the way to phrase that appropriately. You're not catching anything with this bait if this is your sequel bait. Um, next week is Moana, currently sitting at a 99%. Um, oh, so what, 79 so there's, reviews. Well, there's one asshat out there who just saw this and went, nope. <laughs> there's only one. The same thing I am. Look, Toy Story 3 has one. Reviews. One guy who just decided Actually, his, to be that guy. His rotten review, though, is not that bad. Um, the little bit that I just read of it. You know, it, 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 he, it was more of ho-hum. You know, nothing I haven't seen before. Was, you know, was, was kind of the thing oh, there. Sure, it's Which, look, give it to For the love of <laughs> I had to watch Cinderella while donating plasma today. The original animated Cinderella. Which came out in... Oh, jeez, what was it? The 30s, 40s? I'm going to look it up. Hang on. One of those two. Uh, 50. Actual 1950. Not a whole lot's changed over at Disney in the intervening years. You really can't let the fatigue get to you if that's your point. If your point is... Well, it's not all that different from every other animated Disney movie ever released. Well, okay, but so what? Is it good or bad on its own merits? Right. I mean, not, not for nothing, but the fact that the fact is that every princess movie that comes out now, white. That's nice. That's different. Um, and they're you know, and they're they're trying to look. They went through this with the second Disney Renaissance, and some of it was successful, and some of it not so much. Um, and part of that's their own fault. Pocahontas should have been a better movie, yeah, you know. And Mulan, I think, was a really good movie. It just, it, 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 I think that one it grew on people over time. 
but initially it had a hard time finding an audience. Uh, but they're That's right true. back into no, no, Mulan Fox. is so fondly remembered now. Mm-hmm. So I think they're they're doing a really good Jackie job. Jackie Chan of has trying a version of Be a Man, some, actually. Uh, there's some fun stories out there for them to follow. And there was an art, an article that I, that came out of uh, it was Slate that I put on my Facebook wall that you commented on. That you know they I are did. in fact trying to be inclusive, um, which is not. You know, it is something different for Disney. There's only so many stories to tell. In any case, the point that I was trying to get across was, or next next went next Tuesday, we'll be reviewing Moana. It actually comes out, I believe, uh, today. Tomorrow. Um, I actually, there are yeah. actually early reviews, early showings, like late tonight here here for me. So I, I won't be going to see it until Friday, but uh, yeah, it's, it's coming out right before Thanksgiving. Um, I'm assuming the rock singing voice does not cause mm-hmm. my head to explode from all, from all the awesome. I will be here to review that with you. Um, presumably, it will be certified fresh by the time of our next review. I can't uh, and imagine. After that, I, I just can't imagine a world where it slips that far over that period of time. It just doesn't make no. sense. And then I think there's a two-week break, and then we're back for Rogue One. Uh, then Assassin's Creed, and then we are, and then our year-end review, and then we're breaking uh, until the beginning of January, um, where we'll be reviewing in this order: Underworld, Blood Wars, Shut Up Rob, The Monster Calls, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, Shut Up Rob, and Resident Evil: The Final Chapter, Shut Up Rob. <laughs> so, stay tuned for I'm all those. I'm prepared to accept a certain degree of defying the laws of physics in an action movie. I very rarely try to say when we review those that doesn't work that way, because I under, there there are things that go with the genre. Sure, things that in the real world don't actually stop bullets will stop bullets. Everything from you know the uh, a car door to a couch. These don't actually stop bullets. I know I've shot through all of these things. However, I accept that in the in, in, within the action movie genre, this is how things are. People survive explosions that they're way too close to. Okay, and there are things that just within each genre, that's how they work. And there are degrees hey, to um, which me saying that doesn't work that way isn't valid. Vin Diesel skateboarding on the side of a moving bus and high-fiving a guy in a car driving in the opposite direction is entirely too far on the side of that doesn't work that way. Oh, who cares? Um, <laughs> so well, you're going to hear about it. Oh, I know I will. Um, but save it for the podcast, baby. Uh, so two things I want to share with you before we close out. Number one, uh, you, there are currently on Rotten Tomatoes, it's sitting at a 94% want to see with, with a user rating of 6,909. So, which that that? Means, uh, Rotten Tomatoes. So, no, 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 seven, which, movie, which movie was that uh, in reference to? Triple, H, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage. So, there are 7,000 people who use Rotten Tomatoes, and 94% of them want to, want to see this movie. Yeah, and 94% of the people who use Rotten Tomatoes just ignore that. <laughs> they I just weren't going to say whether they want to see Triple X 3 or not. Guarantee you it makes tons of money. 
Well, probably. And I'll just yell at everyone for spending money on crap. Yeah, you'll be one of those people. There are good movies out there. You don't have to spend your money on crap. <laughs> All right. Um, unfortunately, there are no approved quotes for this movie yet, so I can't read directly what Samuel Jackson's line is. But it's absolutely the only, it's absolutely the best reason to go see this movie. We are looking for a guy to do to, to amazing stunts and look dope while doing it. Everyone, please go see that, this movie. It's do not. Be do not see this movie. I will suffer so you don't have to. Please, I'm begging you as a species. We need to reverse this trend. Go see this movie and look dope while doing it. If No, no, no. This is only acceptable if you are doped. If you are high on something or blitzed out of your mind on painkillers, then I find that an acceptable reason to see this movie so long as you don't actually pay for it. I beg of you, there are good movies out there in the world. Stop with this crap. Because if you stop seeing the crap, they will stop making it, and the world will be a better place. Yeah. Okay. You keep thinking that. No, no, no. I'm aware that it's not going to happen, okay? I know that millions upon millions of people are going to see this movie. I'm just saying that if they didn't, bombs. And if the next stupid action movie, bombs. And the next one, and the next one, we can reverse this trend. This is the only way said trend will ever actually be reversed. It won't happen and I'm aware that it won't happen, if it's going to, this is the only way. But no, but no, you're all stupid. Great, great way to end the podcast, buddy. Uh, I don't know. I'm having one of those days, I guess. I guess so. All right, end this the family is coming here on month. Thursday, so I'm just not I'm not feeling good about like life. Well, you better get in a better mood before Moana, okay? I can't handle the two weeks in a row. Look, if the if the rock singing can't make me happy, then I'm gonna have to go to the final. There are degrees to which I have to check whether or not I'm just actually sick of existing on this planet. And there's one so, fail state that posted, I have not yet hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. I got I to gotta interrupt you with this. This is important. Someone just posted a picture of a Pizza Hut, a pizza hut sign, and underneath it says, please don't scream Slayer when you order. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, now, again, there's a Homer Simpson line that will determine when I am finally just done. And I have not yet crossed that threshold. But the, if the rock singing can't make me happy, that's that's pretty close to being tired of Weird Al. And he who is tired of Weird Al is tired of life. Plugs? Eh, I'm doing stuff. <laughs> oh, God. There's a crappy show on Saturday that I'm covering in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. And really, when you consider that the two shows I did last Saturday 
uh, we're not good. It was 12 hours of mediocrity uh, with a few, uh, with a couple of decent moments and a few moments that just made me, you know, want to stab myself. Uh, this card is not good on paper. Uh, the main event is a fight between Robert Whitaker and Derek Brunson, and it's downhill from there. I like that fight. I actually <laughs> like Whitaker and Brunson. Uh, do you want to know the card, Mark? Because I'll tell you what the rest no. of it is. The co-main oh, event is Jake Matthews and Andrew Holbrook. And really, it only gets worse from there. Why are you doing this to me? Really? What have I ever done to you? Of all the people who, are, who have ever asked me, why are you doing this to me? You of all people should understand exactly why. I feel I compelled no idea to do this on occasion. I have no idea what you're talking about. You're a crazy person. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, only one of those things is true. <laughs> so I will be covering that in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. So stop by, say hello, ignore it. I don't, I, I really don't care. Uh, I don't know how much <laughs> the overlap is between this show and my MMA stuff. So uh, I do hope you read and I'm going to try not to just, be done with life at that point. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Then Sunday on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show, I will be reviewing that and previewing a card that actually doesn't suck and blow at the same time, defying all known laws of physics. And somewhat ironically, it's a tough finale card because normally those just, they blow. Uh, this one, however, it has. By all accounts, I haven't seen it. No, it, this season has actually been really good, the fights at least. Everything else, not so much. But uh, we will find out who is going to lose to Demetrius Johnson for the flyweight title. I'm okay with this simply because Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson is one of my favorite active fighters. And watching him get successful title defense number nine, theoretically, uh, will make me very happy. Uh, he is, jeez, he, if he does, one more will tie Anderson Silva's record. Uh, I love Mighty Mouse. So we'll be previewing that also on that card. Uh, Joseph Benavidez and Henry Cejudo are going to fight. Which is, that's a tough fight for Henry Cejudo. I mean, he got blown out by Mighty Mouse, but he's bouncing back by fighting the second best guy in the division. Uh, Jake Ellenberger and Jorge Masvidal are fighting. There's a crappy fight featuring Gray Maynard at featherweight. Uh, there's there's card. There, there's fights. Uh, the week after that is the Fight Pass exclusive from Albany, headlined by Derek Lewis and Shamil Abdurahimov. That fight I'm has, great. I believe, that fight that that card has, I believe, three heavyweight fights on it. This is not a good thing, Mark. <laughs> this is really, really not a good thing. So anyway, Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can stop by and listen to the 411 Ground and Pound radio show where we will be doing all of that stuff related to mixed martial arts. Uh, Mark I'm and I are back next. Black I know. So is your wife. Uh, 
Joke's on you. That, that joke is beneath you. Sorry. I don't know what I just deserve that. I'm the underminer. Nothing is beneath me. You are well above that kind of potty humor, sir. What, your wife's not a fan? Did you think I was making a oh. sexual joke? Yeah, I did. Now no, I'm offended. Not what... You really think I would <laughs> oh, not? You... I'm hurt. I'm hurt by that. Oh, I'm sorry. This, Although that does explain other people reacting in similar fashion. Wow. Oh, goodness. Great. I just do, I just do not get the average human. Oh, well. I will look <laughs> my behavior accordingly. Hey. All right. Hey, Bach, are we done here? Yeah, I think we are. Uh, so, again, next week we'll be talking about Moana, which should be awesome. So let's all cross our fingers and hope. All right, real quick. Tomorrow, Metal Hammer of Doom – um, we'll be reviewing the first half of Hardware to Self-Destruct. Next week, Woo-hoo. Long Road to Ruin concludes with, uh, we got, I'm on triple duty next week. We got Moana on Tuesday, Hardware to Self-Destruct Disc 2 on Wednesday. Long Road to Ruin concludes its look at Harry Potter with the Deathly Hollows on Thursday. The following week, um, throwing Sean off, but I'm bringing on Gavin Napier, and we're going to look at three Paul uh, Anderson movies. You really uh, shouldn't have made that threat. <laughs> there will be blood and something else I don't remember. Um, and then the, and then the following week is the uh, Cornetto Three Flavors trilogy. And Woo-hoo. then finally, at the end, the very end of the year, um, Sean's going to come on. That's our, that's our last longer room for the year, but Sean's got one more show he's got to do. He's going to come on and be our video game expert when we review Assassin's Creed. And he, uh, he'll be on that show with us. Um, when I, when, tomorrow night on the Metal Hammer of Doom, I'll go through the more, show, more shows that we're doing towards the end. We added one. We, we changed the schedule a little bit. We added uh, Oakley Doakley. <laughs> yes. The Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders death metal. Um, so we'll be reviewing that and, uh, and bumping our final show uh, 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 back a week. So we go. So uh, get, get ready to hear some Oakley Doakley. I can't wait. So that's awesome. it for now. You, I'm gonna go run. Because they're awesome. Yeah, they're great. Oh, they are that's a great decision. You know, I do it for the people. All right, I'm bailing out, Maverick. I'm gonna tailspin. I'm gonna go run before I have to get up for work tomorrow. You know like that whole thing did work week. out well for Goose, right? You know, it's been such a long time since she's seen Top Gun. The only thing I remember is that line. You're not missing much. I'm just saying that that whole thing comes about, like, immediately before he dies. All right. You, play music. I'm bailing out. Will do. See you next week, Mark. Uh, Until then, everybody else, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. Have a happy Thanksgiving. And for the love of all that's holy, don't drink and drive. It's not that hard, people. All right, uh, we'll see you next week. Stay safe, everybody.